You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So glad you're here. You can open up, open up your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to dive into God's Word as we're discovering the power of prayer. We're believing that in a fresh way God is stirring up the people of God to pray. And prayer, we learned last week, is not an obligation, a task, or a duty. We already live very busy lives, do we not? All these things pulling for our attention. Prayer is not just another task or a duty. If it is, we've misunderstood it. It's something altogether other. It's the basis for what we are created for. It's relationship with God. Now, that's what houses the, or gives context to what prayer truly is. It's relationship with your creator, God. The one who pursued you, who gave his life for you. To your destiny is his relationship with God. And this morning I want to share a message with you entitled, Calling Upon the Lord. I hope to ruin the way you read the Old Testament specifically. Because throughout the redemptive story of God, Old Testament and New Testament, there's this phrase, and I pray from now on that it'll jump off the pages to you as you read scripture. And it's this phrase, calling upon the Lord. Men and women of faith that called upon the Lord became this lifestyle of prayer that I'm praying to impart, or I'm hoping will be imparted upon your life this morning. This lifestyle of prayer, of depending on God. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the basis for what we, as followers of Jesus, uh, understand our relationship with God all being initiated through is this calling upon the name of the Lord. I want us this morning to come to an understanding of what's available to us in Jesus. Calling upon the Lord is not just the way into the kingdom, but it's the way of life in the kingdom. From the, from the point you come to an end to yourself, you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you've called upon the name of Jesus. It doesn't need to be profoundly eloquent. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily need to follow a certain um, order or an equation or formula. It's, it's something deep in your soul where you come to an end of yourself and you say, I'm throwing myself before creator God, my savior. He is now my sufficiency. I'm insufficient and he is my sufficiency. That is calling upon the Lord. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul he quotes the prophet Joel there. He says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what initiates relationship with Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. From that moment forward, that becomes the way of life in the kingdom of God. That is the best place you can find yourself, is in this place of just utter dependence on God. Or daily, weekly, monthly, as things come and go, victories come, trials come, we're calling upon the name of the Lord. So there's two phrases you'll find throughout Scripture. One says, calling upon the Lord, and that, that word Lord is, is in capital letters. Anytime you see that word Lord in all caps, that's, that's, that's a translation of the name of God, Yahweh, that proper name, Yahweh. That can just help you give context to, to what that means. Sometimes you'll see it, L, capital L, O-R-D, lowercase O-R-D. Other times you'll see Lord, all caps, that's Yahweh, his proper name, this name revealed to Moses, is God as the originator, as the source, as life giver? Those are all ways to understand that name Yahweh. 
So when we come to an end, our, end of ourselves and we're depending on the Lord, we're calling upon Yahweh. There's another phrase that says calling upon the name of the Lord. So calling upon Yahweh or calling upon the name of Yahweh. You'll see that throughout scripture. And praying as you read through the story of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Moses, of David, you'll see how often scripture says that they called upon the Lord or called upon the name of the Lord. This becomes a pattern throughout the redemptive story. They're calling upon the Lord, sometimes in great need, sometimes in great celebration, sometimes just because he's worthy. They're calling upon the name of the Lord, which speaks to me as, oh, this is, this is just way of, the way of life. If you want to step into God's redemptive story, if you want your life to count, if you want your life to mean something, you don't want to just be a flash in the pan, a vapor in the wind, call upon the name of the Lord. So before I preach my whole message, let's dive into 2 Samuel chapter 22 here. This is good stuff. This is towards the end of King David's life. He's walked with God. He definitely has not been perfect. It's been messy moments, struggles with his pride, the tensions that come with ruling in a kingdom, tensions of living in obscurity, of being kind of the, the castaway in his family, all these tensions surround the, Dave, the life of David. Well, I love, this is such a gift to us as a follower of Jesus to have the, the life of David before us because we actually get to watch him from his youth, his earliest years of youth, all the way till his deathbed. And there aren't a whole lot of characters that we get that broad of a, a picture of their life. But we see from the earliest years of his youth, he called upon the name of the Lord. And we see here towards the end of his life that he called upon the name of the Lord. And the context of this passage specifically is David just overcame the Philistines again. Once again, the Philistines were just like his, the thorn in his side. They just kept came, coming back. They just wouldn't leave him alone. This time, though, you, you might remember the famous Philistine Goliath, right? You remember that story? Well, here, towards the end of his life, the Philistines are still coming after him. They can't leave him alone. This time they have four giants, though. They've multiplied. I remember growing up when we'd, pl- we'd go, we'd play sports in small towns, and if there was a lot of big kids on the team, we'd say there's, there's probably something in the water here because they're all bigger than all of us. Well, there must have been something in the Philistines' water because they had four giants now. Not only that, the Bible says in the prior chapter 21 that, that one of the giants, get this, had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each hand. I don't think that's actually a tactical advantage in any way. But I love how that's included. Samuel thought he would include that in the story. It's just kind of weird. It's intimidating. Hey, that guy's got more phalanges, I guess. So that's... (laughs) But they defeat the Philistines once again. And his response to victory is this, is this posture, calling upon the Lord. And what's really cool, sorry, and we'll read it. And what's cool about this passage is he, this is actually the same psalm that he declares to the Lord after God delivered him from King Saul. So he repeats it, that's early, before he even becomes king. And now he's repeating it again towards the end of his life. This is just a, the anthem of his life. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. He says, And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my savior. 
You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. We're gonna stop right there for a moment. That's David's response to victory. This is after the fact. That, that, that assures me that this is, the, this is not just in moments of desperation and great need. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. Yes, that though we, in, in moments of great need, in distress, we call upon the Lord, but it's also in victory and celebration. It's post God's provision. We also cry out to God because he's worthy of our praise. And we say, we call upon your name, God. We depend on you. So our main idea for this morning is just that. That calling on God demonstrates dependence. That's how you can think of calling on God, how you categorize it. When you call upon the name of the Lord, you're demonstrating dependence on, on his sufficiency. Your insufficiency and his sufficiency. You're saying, I'm completely dependent on your strength. And David is one who learned at the youngest of ages that he was going to lean into God's strong protection over his life. He uses some really interesting descriptors of God as his protector and as his strength. He says he's his rock, he's his stronghold, he's his refuge, he's his fortress. Those all seem like very passive descriptors of God, God's protection in your life. And you can begin to question, why is God so passive in his protection of me? I would actually challenge you not to view it as passive protection, but instead as available. I mean, he makes himself available if we're willing to submit ourselves to his protection. He's available, and he is so desirous of, of our response towards him. He, he wants your heart. He wants you to, to submit yourself to him. He's not going to force his protection upon you. So you'll find in your life, if you're humble enough to realize it and look back at moments where you stumble and you fall and you experience judgment or difficulties that you brought upon yourself, you realize that his judgment is oftentimes just a moving outside of his protection. Because we, we didn't submit ourselves to his protection we didn't allow ourselves to, to submit ourselves to him being our rock, to him being our refuge, to him being our fortress. But David began to learn that. that the more and more he died to himself and submitted himself to God as, as refuge, as stronghold, the more he realized God's strength and his power and his provision, his strength in his life. This is the lifestyle of prayer. See, now prayer is no longer a task or a duty, just something you throw up before you eat some food to bless it. Or something you just do kind of whenever you think of it. This becomes now a lifestyle of prayer, of depending on God. This is God's best for your life. And I pray this morning it inspires you in a fresh way to take prayer out of the box, to place it upon your life. This is what you're created for, is to walk with God. Walk in relationship with him every single day. Towards the end of 2017, I read this book that was written 20 years ago called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, maybe a church you've heard of. Their choir has grown in fame quite a bit. They've won six Grammy Awards at Barack Obama's second inauguration. That choir sang at the inauguration. I mean, they're a pretty big deal. But Pastor Jim Cimbala, he shares in his story, I read this towards the end of 2017, so this is my first year as pastor of this church. I don't know what I'm doing. And I quickly found some close company in Pastor Jim Simbola. He, he wasn't trained for pastoral, pastoral ministry. He didn't have some grand plan 
for this church of Brook and Tabitha. All he had is a burning vision in his heart, a conviction that God was the, the, the God he knew was the God he read about in scripture, that God wanted to do something in his day in a rough neighborhood in Brooklyn. He began to cry out to God. This was at this point a little fledgling congregation that honestly was hardly surviving. They couldn't even pay him a salary. Maybe a couple dozen people. Others would have closed the place down, but he had this faith that God wanted to do something. And this is what he got up before his congregation of a few dozen people. This is what he shared with them. He said, if we call upon the Lord, he has promised in his word to answer, to bring the unsaved to himself, to pour out his spirit among us. If we don't call upon the Lord, he has promised nothing, nothing at all. It's as simple as that. No matter what I preach or what we claim to believe in our heads, the future will depend on our times of prayer. And he declared, he stood before his church and declared before his church that prayer was going to be the engine of their church. And God just loosed the, the, um, the floodgates of heaven over that church. Obviously, they just exploded in growth, thousands and thousands of people, upwards of 10,000 people now in that church, really impacting their city. And I have this burning conviction that God wants to open up the floodgates over this church. If we can learn to be a people that call upon the Lord, the week of prayer just so filled my tank as I, as I saw the people of God assemble and gather with growing and growing faith over that week. It was amazing. We had over 100 people here every single night of the week of prayer. Last, last year we had a week of prayer. Many people didn't know about it. We, we had a few people that came. There's four or five people every night. This year we had over 100 people that came every night because there was this growing faith, this growing expectation that God wants to do something in our generation. If we can humble ourselves and call upon the Lord, if we can come to an end of ourselves, end of our methods and our, our, our ways of thinking we know how to do church and grow dependent on God and say, God, move in the hearts of people. God, give us the hungry ones. God, do the miraculous in our day. Move in this city. Move on the campus. Move in our neighborhoods. Move in our families. God, in our day, move. It doesn't need to be extravagant or eloquent. You call upon the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Call upon Yahweh. Call upon Jesus. He's so faithful. It sounds too simple, but it is the way of the kingdom. If you can humble yourself to bring yourself to that place, We'll keep reading in verse five. For the waves of death encompass me. Now he's kind of, he's going back into the midst of the battle. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. So post victory, he called upon the Lord. Now he brings himself back to the midst of the battle. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I pray more and more and more as each and every one of us grow in maturity in Christ that we would learn to call upon the Lord in the midst of our distress. Sadly, too often, we don't do that. We maybe think we're going to, but then, then things happen, trials, tribulations, persecutions come, difficulties come, and we freak out. We say, what's happening? I must be broken. God must have forsaken me. What's going on? I must have done something wrong or God's plan must have been completely abandoned in my life. We fail to call upon the Lord. But he says, in my distress, 
I called upon the Lord. This was a serious battle that David found himself in once again. One of the giants, his name was Ishbanob. And in chapter 21, verse 16, Ishbanob, he said he thought to kill David. He was convinced in his mind he was going to take David out. He was going to be the, the giant that was famous for taking David out. Can I tell you that the enemy is convinced that he's going to take you out? The enemy has one plan for your life. It's to steal, kill, and destroy. And he is convinced to over your life that he is, he's going to take you out. He's going to destroy you. He is going to kill you. But just like Ishbanob, the enemy does not have the mind of God. He does not have the mind of God. And Ishbanob, Ishbanob was deceived. And on the earth today, there is a deceiver, but he is self-deceived. He looks at your life, and he thinks he's going to destroy it. He revels over the idea of taking you out, of snuffing you out, of, of forcing you to turn your back on God, to rebel on God. But he does not have the mind of God. The enemy is self-deceived, just like Ishbanob. Junk will happen. So as a follower of Christ, you can just give up the idea that you're going to be free from difficulties and trials and persecution. Because the enemy, God gave us that, that revelation. The enemy's plan for your life is to steal, kill, and destroy. So when the enemy rears his ugly face in your life, he's simply trying to steal, kill, and destroy. We don't need to be, we don't need to be surprised. Junk is going to happen. Trials and tribulations are going to come. And we don't need to freak out. Instead, in our distress, we call out to the Lord. We are victorious, and victory implies a battle. So when you were brought into this world, you were, you were planted in the midst of an epic battle. And we've been given in Christ the victory. And victory implies a battle. God's will for your life is always victory. Every time. You don't even have to question it. His, his, his will for your life is victory. If we can learn to come to an end, end, in our, end of ourselves and depend on God. That's his, that's his will for your life. A couple months ago, I sat, sat in my office and I talked with, with an individual who was struggling with an addiction to sexual sin. I talked with this, this gentleman for quite a while. And eventually, as it came to a point of prayer, we were going to pray together. And he, he was, I believe he was sincere in his desire to, to stop doing the things he was doing and experience freedom. But he was in this just constant wrestling and tension and constant battle. And he was getting discouraged, as we've all found ourselves, getting discouraged. All, but all of a sudden, as we were there talking, we were about to pray, I had this faith well up in my heart that God's will for his life was victory. That him failing to fight again, to, to rise up and call upon the Lord once more. He may have done that in the, in the past. But for him failing to do that is then giving into the will of the enemy over his life. The enemy has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And God's plan for your life is victory. And the fact that he was brought into this world in the midst of a battle means he can be victorious in that area. And what a gift to the church. Every time we find victory in an area, in the midst of a battle, when we find victory, we can be such a gift to the church. 
to speak with authority, with conviction, that God has brought freedom in my life in that area. And in, in such faith well up in my heart as I prayed that over him, that God was going to bring him into a season of true victory over that sexual sin so that he could, with authority and conviction, not in theory, speak to other men about freedom from sexual sin. That's God's will for your life. A couple weeks ago, as we started this series, Discovering the Power of Prayer, I shared from one of the letters that Jesus wrote to the church, uh, the churches in the book of Revelation. What's so cool is you go back and you look at those letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in, Re- in Revelation. He always ends each letter with a, a message to the conquerors, to the one who conquers. I'm going to give you the authority to rule over nations. To the one who conquers, I'm going to give you a new name. To the one who conquers, your name will never be blotted out from the Lamb's Book of Life. To the one who conquers, I'm going to surround you with white garments. All these promises to the conquerors. But to be a conqueror, it implies a battle. So let's stop throwing the victim card down. Let's stop feeling bad for ourselves when we find ourselves in the midst of a battle. We've been given that promise. We're, we, we exist in the midst of a battle. Let's be victorious in Christ. Let's call upon the name of the Lord. Let's find our victory in Jesus. Let's keep reading because this gets really, really good here. Verse 8, he says, Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils. This is his picture of God. This is, this is David at the end of his life. He knows how powerful his God is. This is his picture of the God that he knows who fights on his behalf. Smoke went from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and he flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, the blast of the breath of his nostrils. That's his view of God. This God that fights for him. We should just all take a moment to repent right now because how often have we thought of God passively sitting on his throne with his feet up on the desk or something? Like he has no care for the battles that you find yourself in. David had a totally different revelation of who God was. This God who, who would shake heaven and earth for him. This God that would blow smoke from his nostrils flaming fire from his mouth, that just the breath from his nostrils would obliterate the enemy. He knew this God personally, and he'd seen his power time and time again, so he was convinced of it. So from an earthly perspective, we see ourselves standing before four giants, one with six fingers, and you're freaked out by it. (laughs) We're intimidated. But this is David's revelation of, of God. So four giants, they just seem so puny and silly, He sees this God who's so mighty to shake the very earth we stand on, to separate heaven, to ride down on an angel, to to come to his rescue. Can I tell you that's what God did for you? He stopped all that was going on in heaven. He sent his son for you. He split the heavens for you. 
You recall the story of David and Goliath. David finds himself before Goliath. The reason David had this confidence and this faith well up in his heart that God would deliver him from Goliath is because he had seen God deliver him from the lion and the bear. You know, that's what he says. Prior, prior to that, prior to um, actually taking out Goliath, he says, God's delivered me from the lion and the bear, and surely he will deliver me from you, big stinky Goliath. You're nothing for the God that I've experienced in obscurity and insignificance. In 1 Samuel 17, this is what he says to Goliath. He says in verse 46, 47, it says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. What a beautiful picture of dependence on God. Dependence on God actually isn't passivity either. It's not you just sitting back and not doing anything. It's this beautiful partnership of co-laboring with God. He says, you, God, God will deliver you into my hands. I'm going to kill you. But, but it's just only, the only reason I can kill you is because God delivered you into my hands. So as conquerors, we conquer because God has already given us the victory. He, he, he brings the victory, and then we are the ones who conquer. We jump into the action simply because he's already made the way. If you have a hard time equating this, this passage that we just read in verses 8 through 16 to anything in your life, this God that shakes heaven and earth, I want you to know that Jesus shook heaven for you. He shook the earth for you. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. Jesus is on the cross for you. He's hanging on the cross, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. In verse 51, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. That's what happened. When Jesus said it was finished, literally the earth shook for you, for your victory. He provided for you the victory. And that's the mighty God that is mighty to save once again. He's mighty to save in your situation. He's mighty to save your soul. He's mighty to save your family member, your family, to free you. I pray for a fresh revelation of God in that way in your life. So finally, let's read in verse 17. He sent from on high, he took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place, and he rescued me because he delighted in me. We're going to stop there for today. Now he's talking about the transaction that actually took place. This mighty God who could shake the entire earth, who'd blow fire from his mouth, he came down and he rescued him. And he led him out into a broad place simply because he delighted in him. He was so firmly established in God's affection towards him, in his love towards him. And it's in that place that you and I, we can fully rest in depending on God. Calling upon the Lord demonstrates dependence. And I pray over your life, 
More and more and more, you'll cultivate this lifestyle of depending on God, of calling upon the name of the Lord. I'm going to call the worship team forward so we can respond to the Lord this morning. But I want to end in this way. We, this morning becomes a significant morning for myself, specifically in the area of calling upon the Lord. This morning as we introduce you all to, to my brother, Tony, for me, this is a surreal moment. As young boys, we ran around just like any other brothers would. We got into trouble and we fought and we, we wrestled. We played sports together and against each other. We're only 19 months apart. So we grew up just like normal brothers. But after my mom passed away, my, bro- my brother really hardened his heart to the Lord, turned away from God. Me and my younger brother, we turned towards God. We followed the, the testimony of my father. We said, we're going to trust Jesus in the midst of something that doesn't make sense. And so throughout middle school and high school, I saw my brother, his heart only get hardened more and more to the things of God. I I saw his anger escalate over the years. So much so that he ended up getting kicked out of high school for fighting. He was so angry. And I remember many times, me and my younger brother, We weren't perfect by any means. We'd find ourselves not knowing what to do because we loved our brother so much. We called upon the Lord. It wasn't eloquent. It wasn't extravagant. It was simply like this acknowledgement of our insufficiency, this desperation, this dependence that God has to do the miraculous. That became a pattern. Two different times, I mustered up the courage to write my brother some letters. They're just just simple letters that said, I love you, Tony. As as a brother, as a friend, me and Bryce were praying for you. God's there. I mean, he's near. If you turn to him, he's there. Simple, simple letters like that. Because there was this this, um, faith I couldn't let go of. God still had a plan for his life. Even though for our family, it seemed hopeless from the outside. This was like us standing before four giants. But I remember my senior year of high school, my brother was in a halfway house, dropped out of high school. He was there in a halfway house that finally his heart began to soften. That's the miraculous. It's no fancy church building or church methods or convincing of man. That's the miraculous. One of the most angry dudes I knew finally surrenders his life to Christ. And obviously going from partying and drugs and anger and rage to where he is now is just an amazing miracle. He's become an influencer. and a, God's just brought him into the, the fold of what he's doing in such a beautiful way. He's become a hero and a leader in my life and a mentor in my life. So this morning just becomes so surreal as I read this story in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and and David I believe looks back over his entire life and just is unshakable in his conviction that God is who he says he is that God is his victory that if he calls upon the name of the Lord once again the victory is already in the Lord's hands this just seemed to like come off the pages to me this week as I knew we were going to introduce Tony. I want us to respond this morning as I know God has 
drawing our hearts towards him. The whole spectrum is gathered in the room. There's some in this place who need to call upon the Lord because you're literally away from him. Like you need to, that Romans chapter 10, verse 13, call upon the Lord. So you can be saved, so you can start relationship with God, so you can start what you were created for. There are others in this place that you're in a moment of desperation where you need to come to an end of yourself and say, I'm completely dependent on you, God. I'm calling upon the Lord. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes in this place, I want us to respond to God. I'm gonna ask for that second group first. If, if that's you in this place, if you'd say, Drew, I'm in the midst of a situation that's desperate. I need to call upon the Lord. I probably have three or four situations like that in my life. But if that's you, if you'd just raise your hand in this place. Awesome. It's just a declaration before, the Lord, for, before me and before the Lord. You're calling upon the Lord. You're coming to an end of yourself, that he is your su- sufficiency. So Lord, right now in faith, for those that have their hands raised, we repeat that prayer of David. And we say, God, you're our rock. You're our fortress. You're our refuge. You're our stronghold. We choose to submit ourselves and bring ourselves under your strong protection. That God, you're going to fight this battle. You're going to bring the victory. We are going to be conquerors. We are going to be overcomers. You're giving grace right now. You're imparting anointing and strength to those that raise their hands to get up, to step into the battle once again, fully equipped with the armor of God to be overcomers and to be victorious in Christ. That's what you're doing right now, God. In faith, I believe it. You're equipping some to be victorious over addictions, to be victorious over oppression and depression, to be victorious, to rise again and have faith for their loved ones that have turned away from you. Ones with sexual confusion, you're giving faith right now to once again step into the battle and be victorious. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We call upon your name because you're worthy of praise. I do want to give an opportunity for that first group. If you're here in this place and you'd say, Drew, I don't have a relationship with God. I'm not right with God, but this morning I want to make things right. I want to call upon the name of the Lord so I can be saved, like Romans chapter 10, verse 13. If that's you in this place, you'd raise your hand. I just want to pray with you. I don't see any hands. But I just want to, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. Awesome. See one hand. So if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, you want to pray this prayer, pray like this. God, this morning, as we looked at that, that verse in Romans chapter 10, We believe, we're placing our faith in your sufficiency that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we're gonna be saved. So we stop running. We stop trying to do it on our own. We declare you as Savior, as Lord over our lives. You are our sufficiency. No turning back. From this day forward, in your mighty name, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.